0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. It's such a pleasure to be with you here today. I especially give thanks to my host, my dear friend Lucy who has um, been such a good friend and such a wonderful pastor in this congregation and a minister to me in the midst of it all. I wish the mothers in this sanctuary a happy Mother's Day. I wish the fathers in this sanctuary a happy Father's Day. This church will not be in session on Father's Day this June. And as we sang just now, our fathers are blessed, and we thank them especially today in the roles that they played to us as parents. Mother's Day can hit some of us, strangely. Some of you might have lost your mothers and you might have had kind of weird relationships with your mothers. You might have, um, have lost your mother recently. You might have always wanted to be a mother and it just didn't work out. Wherever you are on your journey... Wherever you are this morning, you have come to the right place. And I'm really glad that you're here. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming welcoming me into this space that's so precious to me. In Emma Donahue's disturbing yet heartwarming novel, Jack and Ma live in room. Room is a utility shed behind the house of old Nick, who abducted Ma, imprisoned her in Room, and abused her daily for seven years. The story of Room is told, however, from Jack's perspective. In the opening moments of the novel Room, Jack has just turned five. He sees the world around him through the small child's visor of wonder and imagination. Every piece of furniture is described without the use of an article, bed, table, rug, the way a child would describe a member of the family. Room equals home. Room equals the whole world, as far as Jack knows. As the story unfolds, it becomes clear that Ma is desperately unhappy, sometimes unable to get out of bed all day. We learn through Jack's description of Ma's accounts that she's tried to escape any number of times and she hates old Nick. She's brave. She's fiercely devoted to Jack, and she's determined to find a way to give Jack a better life. The big difference between Jack and Ma, as relates to Room, however, is that she is both trapped and feels trapped. Jack is trapped, but doesn't feel trapped. He takes some convincing even to believe that there is a world outside room and that the pictures in the TV set correspond with a reality that he's never experienced. Ma is trapped and feels trapped. Jack is trapped but doesn't. It's to Ma's credit this Mother's Day, fictional as she might be, for helping her child to feel free within, even when she can't. It's also to her credit that she insists upon opening his eyes so that he, too, will come to want more. All of us have had experiences Or periods of time in our lives when we've felt trapped. In fact, it's possible that many people in this sanctuary or listening on the radio might feel trapped right now. Recently, I talked with an acquaintance about a new job she started after a dramatic career change. She hates the job. She's miserable every day in it. And yet she's made so many sacrifices in order to change fields, she believes she has to stick it out for a while. She feels trapped. One of my colleagues is in the midst of radiation and chemotherapy for cancer, tethering her to the hospital where she gets treatment and requiring her to live in a body that's ravaged by side effects. I'm sure that among the many emotions she's managing, at least one of them relates to feeling trapped. Christians believe that God, through Jesus Christ, is our liberator as well as our healer. Yet when we pray to God, it's somehow easier to ask God to heal us than it is to ask God to set us free, as healing seems so concrete and liberation of our minds so abstract. This morning I'm going to spend some time reflecting with you on what exactly liberation can mean in our lives today. My hope is to make liberation less abstract so we can find a clearer way through the times when we feel trapped, especially when our imprisonment is, at least in part, a matter of perspective. In our reading from the book of Acts this morning, we hear the account of one of the Apostle Paul's several visits to jail. The disciples of Jesus in the earliest days of the Christian movement are taking seriously the charge that they are to go out into the world, sharing the good news of God's love and healing people as they went. They encounter a girl who's a slave, and the girl's so-called owners are profiteering off of what appears to be her gift of fortune-telling. Paul finds her loud divinations annoying. And so he orders the demons within her to come out. All at once, the girl is free of the tormenting voices in her head. But the gravy train for those who are using her grinds to a halt. Paul and Silas are arrested, flogged, and thrown into jail. Bleeding, bruised, and locked in the stocks, Paul and Silas sing hymns, celebrating their faith, and all the other prisoners listen to them in wonder. The prison guard falls asleep to the dulcet tones of Christian music he can't even begin to understand. Deep in the night, an earthquake shakes the prison, and breaks open the cells and the stocks. When the guard wakes up, he sees the open cages, and, overcome with fear, he takes up his sword, intending to take his own life, for shame at his failure. Seeing what's happening, Paul intervenes. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here cries Paul. Worried about getting the guard in trouble, Paul not only stayed within the prison walls but probably persuaded the other prisoners to do the same. That night, the guard is changed. He takes Paul and Silas back to his home and family, washes their wounds, and enters the love of Christ through baptism. Paul and Silas were in jail, yet they were not trapped. They were full of the Holy Spirit, to the point where their joy overflowed into singing. The guard who was keeping them captive felt trapped in the responsibility and societal expectation placed upon him by his position. So much that he couldn't even imagine living for having failed. He wasn't locked in a cage, but he was trapped in a complex system of duty complete with assigned roles. In an ironic reversal of those roles, Paul becomes the liberator of his own prison guard. So the question is how? The author of the book of Acts, the same one who wrote the gospel according to Luke, was surely influenced by ancient Greek thought in his depiction of the early church. The fingerprints of the Platonic ideals of a life of the mind are in evidence on every page. Paul and Silas' singing of hymns from prison echoes a mirror account of Socrates doing the same singing when he was in jail. Yet the book of Acts provides a decidedly non-Greek set of practices behind Paul's equanimity and spiritual power. Where a Greek ideal would suggest that Paul is living his life entirely in his head, and thus capable of detaching himself from incarnate reality, a Christian way is far more engaged with the body, with other people, and with the world. Paul's capacity to remain free even while in jail isn't about him going into his own little world and separating himself from reality. A close read of Paul's actions shows us three specific practices that would seem to help him remain very much connected to those around him, while also avoiding the psychological snares one might associate with feeling trapped. First, Paul cultivates joy. He sings songs while in physical pain from having taken a beating, and he gets others to sing along. We don't read that he sings songs in order to distract himself or because he doesn't care about his situation. The text makes clear that he sings the songs because his joy in Christ is simply too much for him to contain. Second, Paul conducts himself honorably as his character demands. When an earthquake opens his cell door, He chooses to stay put rather than lowering his standards of behavior just because the world around him has gone mad. He holds himself accountable as a good citizen rather than compromising his conduct to match that of his unjust accusers. Third, Paul is throughout it all generous. More concerned with the prison guard's reputation than his own discomfort, he stays in jail when running away would have been easy to do. The doors were open, and the guard was sleeping. Paul saves the guard from himself when the fear of loss of status in society nearly overwhelmed the guard to the point of suicidality. Upon the guard's dramatic conversion— Paul gives him the ultimate gift by receiving the hospitality of the guard's family. Paul generously allowed the guard to tend to him, wash his wounds, feed him, and bring him into his homestead, which restored the guard's sense of self-worth in a culture defined by showing hospitality. During the times in my life when I have felt trapped, for whatever reason, I haven't taken a whole lot of solace in advice that I should detach myself emotionally from the situation. Why do you let this bother you, Sarah? Why don't you just ignore it? That's not exactly my style. And I bet this is true for many of you, too. Deciding not to let something bother us isn't exactly liberating. What the Christian tradition offers us in the account we hear in the book of Acts is not a way of transcending our circumstances, but rather infusing those circumstances with love. Please don't think that I'm giving detachment a bad rap sometimes it's exactly what we need. And the gift of healthy detachment is one I curate as a necessary survival skill. When I was a first-year college student, I had a wonderful teaching fellow in the one and only college course I took on religion. She took an interest in me, and I got to know her family, including her two perfect little girls and her loving husband. I learned after having looked up to her for many months that my teacher and her husband had once been separated. In my youthful naivete, I thought that any happy marriage must always have been happy, and her description of a time she'd once walked out and stayed away for some time caught me by surprise. My teacher and her spouse had been high school sweethearts, never apart. And at one point in their marriage, my teacher felt utterly trapped. She said that leaving her husband was important to her becoming whole. She in fact said, and I remember this perfectly, I needed to be able to say, there's the door. I'm going through it. Before she was able to truly love her husband. There are times in our lives when fleeing because we feel trapped is exactly what we need to do. But fleeing isn't always possible, and fleeing is never enough. God didn't come into the world as a distant, nebulous spirit, but as flesh and blood and bone. Sometimes we have no choice but to stay engaged and sometimes we stay engaged because that's exactly where real transformation and liberation happen. I have proposed three steps we can take to model what Luke Timothy Johnson describes as faith's freedom. Those steps are cultivating joy, holding ourselves accountable to our own standards, and treating those around us with generosity. What might these practices we learn from the Apostle Paul look like in our lives today? One example, when we feel trapped by our economic circumstances we can remind ourselves that money has no real power over us. I have some dear friends who as a couple have a practice. When they start to worry too much about money, they go out and spend some. I've also read the advice that when we're concerned about our bills, we should make sure that the first check we write is to our favorite charity even if it's just for a dollar or two. We cultivate joy, we hold ourselves accountable, and we give, sometimes more than feels totally comfortable. When we feel trapped, as another example, by a bad employment situation and a mean boss in a job we can't quit, we can put a silly picture on our computer desktop, cultivating joy. We can choose to hold to our standards for how we treat others, even if we don't feel like doing so is returning like with like. We could send that bad boss, that mean boss, a cupcake. Because why not? Everybody likes a good cupcake. Today, we celebrate the love God sent into the world through Jesus Christ for us to receive and then to share. We especially attend to the love we received from our mothers on this Mother's Day. I have a wonderful mother, and she's modeled for me incarnate love. I can't tell you how many times over the course of my life she's made me laugh encouraged me to behave with dignity, even when sniping was all around, and has given to me and to others without counting the cost. As I know she's listening right now on WHRB, thank you, mom. In motherhood, detaching isn't an option. The child needs the parent too much mothers sometimes get it right and as my daughter JJ would be happy to share with you after the service we often get it wrong JJ is now a teenager after all and is funny generous and sadly acutely observant but we mothers stay engaged and it's there we find God's healing and Liberation. The good news of the gospel we hear today is that Christ liberates us when we feel trapped, not through detachment, but through the gift of love. Through love, we can be both connected and separate. Through love, the love we have for ourselves and for our children and for the world around us, we are made whole. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. May God heal us from what ails us, free us from what jails us, and work through us to make the world more what it ought to be, through Christ our Lord. Amen.